Chapter 5 of Stories of the Wars of the Jews by Charlotte Maria Tucker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Cliff Stone of Sydney, Australia. Chapter 5 Alexander the Great. Murder of Joshua, a temple raised on Mount Gerizim, Battle of Issus, Siege of Tyre, the White Robe Procession, Murder of Darius. We now lose the sure guidance of the sacred writings and must pursue our way by the dimmer light of uninspired history. The two books of the Maccabees, writes Dr. Gray, were certainly composed after the succession of prophets had ceased among the Jews. Of the first book, he observes, it was probably written by a contemporary author who had witnessed in part the scenes which he so minutely and graphically describes. And of the second book, which contains the account of Heliodorus and the martyrdom of the seven brethren, this writer remarks, The fathers in general cite the book as a useful history, but not as of authority in points of doctrine. After the time of Nehemiah, Judea ceased to form a distinct government and was joined to the satrapy of Syria. Its internal government was, however, in the hands of its own high priests, and the civil power thus annexed to this office made it an object of great ambition, and unhappily gave rise to disgraceful contests. On the death of Eliashib, 413 BC, his son Joida, or Judas, succeeded to the dignity of high priest. After he also had been removed by death, a wicked dispute arose between two of his sons, Johanan and Joshua, as to which should fill the sacred office. Johanan, like another Cain, slew Joshua in the inner court of the temple, and the holy place was polluted with bloodshed by a brother's hand. Bogoses, the satrap of Syria, hearing of this horrible crime, came to Jerusalem to take account of it. On his going into the temple to examine the spot where Joshua had been killed, the priests would have hindered his entrance, as no Gentile was permitted to cross the sacred threshold. What? Am I not more pure than the dead carcass of him whom ye have slain in the temple? exclaimed the indignant satrap. And after rebuking the Jews for suffering the house of their God to be thus defiled, he imposed upon them as a punishment a heavy tax upon the lambs that were offered in sacrifice. The nation at this time had fallen into a grievous state of coldness and formality in religion. The priesthood were worldly and corrupted, it looked upon the services of the temple as a weariness, unwilling to perform even the smallest without some earthly reward. But there were yet faithful ones left in the land, those who feared the Lord and spake often to each other, and feared the name of the Holy One of Israel. They shall be mine, said the Lord by the prophet Micah, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Of such appears to have been the next high priest, Jadua, who succeeded his father, Johanan, 341 BC. This faithful servant of God endeavoured to follow in the steps of Nehemiah, expelling his own brother Manasses for marrying the daughter of Sambalat, the Kuthite governor of Samaria. Manasses then repaired to his wife's father, and the Samaritans availed themselves of the presence of a member of the pontifical family to erect a temple of their own upon the Mount Gerizim of which Manasses was made high priest. This measure greatly widened the breach between the Jews and the Samaritans, 
The rivalry of the two nations increased the bitter antipathy which had long existed between them. The period at length arrived when the Jews were to exchange the yoke of Persia for that of another foreign nation. The winged leopard of Grecia, beheld in vision by Daniel, was now to follow the Assyrian lion and the bear of Persia. The kingdom of Brass, as the prophet had foretold to Nebuchadnezzar, was to succeed to the kingdom of Silver. Alexander the Great, king of Macedon, at the head of his Greeks, in a great victory at Issus, crushed the power of the Persian Darius, which he afterwards completely destroyed. The conqueror marched into Syria after his victory, summoned its various nations to yield submission, and laid siege to the city of Tyre, a place of great strength and importance. 332 BC Tyre was a stronghold of superstition and idolatry. Celebrated for her commerce, her merchants were princes, her traffickers the honourable of the earth. But the destruction of this idolatrous city had been foretold centuries previously, both by the prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel. I will cast thee to the ground, I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth. In the sight of all them that behold thee, had been the message of the Lord, while yet Tyre stood in her strength and beauty, with no one to make her afraid. And now the prophecy was literally, though unconsciously, fulfilled by Alexander. With extreme difficulty, but with a perseverance which overcame every obstacle, the great Macedonian seized upon the mighty city. He mercilessly burned it to the ground, and destroyed or enslaved its people. In vain had the Tyrians called upon their idols, prayed to the deaf ears that could not hear, sought help of the hands that could not save. Eight thousand of the unfortunate citizens fell in the sack of the town and were buried beneath its ashes, and two thousand were barbarously crucified by order of the stern Alexander. And now the conqueror, flushed with success, turned his march towards Jerusalem. Terror and alarm spread through that city. The Jews, faithful in their allegiance to Persia, had refused to supply the enemy of King Darius with the provisions which he had demanded for the sustenance of his army. This had greatly irritated Alexander, whose spirit was little able to brook such opposition to his despotic will. As soon as the ruin of Tyre was complete, the fierce conqueror therefore advanced upon Jerusalem, with intention to punish its people for daring to disobey his commands. In the extremity of their danger, Jadua and his countrymen threw themselves on the protection of their god, they implored his succour in their distress, and their prayers were heard and answered. In a vision of the night, Jadua was directed to go out and meet Alexander dressed in the gorgeous robes of his office, and attended by a company of the priests and all the people in white garments. They were not to draw the sword or lift the spear, but go forth to the destroyer of Tyre with no protection but that of the invisible arm of Jehovah stretched out to defend them. Jadua obeyed the command, and on the next day left Jerusalem in the manner directed. The white-robed procession slowly mounted a hill which commanded a prospect of the country around them. Doubtless many a heart trembled, and many a cheek grew pale with fear, when a cloud of dust in the distance showed the approach of the terrible foe. Alexander's army drew nearer and nearer, the sunlight flashing from their weapons. Would not these weapons soon be dimmed in the blood of their unarmed, unresisting victims? 
Once more, the Lord showed his irresistible power over the hearts of men. No sooner did Alexander see the high priest, followed by the people, advancing towards him, than, as if struck by sudden awe, he hastened forward to meet the procession, and to the astonishment of his own troops, did obeisance to the venerable Jadua. While all stood amazed at this most unexpected conduct on the part of the offended conqueror, Parmenio, who was one of his friends, ventured to ask him the reason of it, and to inquire why he, whom everyone adored, should pay such adoration to a Jew. Alexander answered that it was not to him, but to the God whom Jadua served that he paid adoration. For that when he had been in Macedonia, meditating the war against Persia, which had been since so successfully begun, he had beheld in a dream this very high priest arrayed in such a dress as that which he now wore, who bade him pass boldly into Persia, promising that God should be his guide and bestow upon him victory and success. Then turning to the high priest Jadua, Alexander cordially embraced him and entered Jerusalem in his company where the proud conqueror of Persia offered sacrifices to the God of Jacob. Jadua, having shown to Alexander the prophecies in which his triumphs were predicted, the king of Macedon left Jerusalem assured of that success which followed his arms. He called the Jews together before his departure and graciously bade them ask of him whatever they might desire. They petitioned that they might be permitted the free exercise of their religion and laws and be exempted from taxes every seventh year, during which they neither sowed nor reaped, but left the land to enjoy her Sabbaths, according to the commandment of God. To all this Alexander graciously acceded, but when similar petitions were offered by the Samaritans, who had merited well of the Macedonian monarch by sending the supplies which the Jews had refused, Alexander returned a courteous but evasive reply, deferring compliance till, at some future period, he should have leisure fully to inform himself on the subject of their demands. Alexander then pursued his victorious career. Darius, after a defeat at Arbala, fled towards Bactria, but was traitorously murdered by Bessus, one of his own nobles. Alexander reached the summit of power and pride. But he who was the lord of many nations was the slave of his own sinful passions. Alexander conquered his outward foes, but not the more dangerous ones within. Intoxicated with vainglory, he fancied himself to be more than man. Addicted to intemperance, in a drunken revel he killed his own friend Cletus, and by his wild excesses shortened his own existence. This extraordinary man died in the prime of his days and the zenith of his power, 323 BC leaving the vast empire which his prowess had subdued to be split into various kingdoms and to be made the object of fearful strife and bloodshed amongst his contending generals. Contemporaneous events Peloponnesian War began, 431 BC Retreat of the 10,000 Greeks, 401 BC Death of Socrates, 400 BC Battle of Leuctra, 371 BC End of chapter 5